podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Rock Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Mitz. Today we are, we have a packed show. We are recapping a West Virginia, or I'm sorry, a win over West Virginia for the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, we have some women's basketball talk and, and a little bit of, of volleyball as well with Jill Dorsey Hollis, who's coming back to the program for the first time in quite a while. Uh, and then we have Christine Butterfield joining us, uh, who, who is on the Midwest Madness podcast uh, here on the 1012 Network. She's joining us to talk a little bit of Oklahoma basketball and get us ready for the game that is coming up tonight. If you're listening, well, when you're listening to this, because I'm assuming you're listening to it on Tuesday morning. But obviously, before we do all that, we have to recap what was a phenomenal second half effort for the Kansas Jayhawks against the West Virginia Mountaineers with Kansas winning 85 to 59. To help me do that, coming back on the podcast for the first time in a while, Derek Knoll, one of our writers over at Rock Chalk Talk. Derek, how are you doing today? Doing fine, Andy. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, yeah, it's great to have you on. Fetch, unfortunately, is, is unavailable for the next couple of weeks here, so I'm dipping into the well of the great guys we have over at Rock Chalk Talk to help me talk about this team and what we've been seeing. So, uh, Derek, my first question for you, what is your biggest impression from this team? Like, what's the biggest takeaway you have from that performance that we had on Saturday? Well, the explosiveness, for one. I mean, that second half was pretty ridiculous. You know, the first half was kind of trudging along. I was getting texts from my friends that said, this team doesn't look that much different from last year's team, unfortunately. They were kind of slogging through it. But then, you know, it's almost like a light bulb went on and maybe Bill Self, you know, turned the light bulb on via some uh, choice words in, in, in the locker room, I would think. But um, just the explosiveness and the versatility. I mean, we saw everybody just kind of come alive in that second half. It went from 33-31 at the half with KU kind of struggling to get actually that lead, really, right? And uh, then they outscored the Mountaineers 52-28 to 28 in the second half, which was just – it was fun to watch. And it, it's been a while since there was just a half where you just watched it and you're like, okay, this is this is what we, we think we can have. And all this was without Remy Martin, right? So right. Um, I, was in, I was really impressed with McCormick in that game. I, I think that might have been – that might have been his best performance – in a KU uniform, maybe. I mean, I, I don't want to maybe pump them too high on that one, but 19 and 15, 10 of those 15 coming on the offensive end, he seemed like the guy that was everywhere. And then Jalen Wilson, I mean, he, he packed the stat sheet as well with 23. He can three of six from three-point land. Um, that's the team. If those two guys can do that, you bring back a healthy Remy who, who's – you know, a motivational guy, even if he's not scoring or dishing out assists, he's the guy that's there to kind of shock you back into, you know, if things are down, he's the one that's going to bring you up is what I'm trying to get at here. Just yeah. the versatility of this team is really great. I mean, Pettiford had a nightmare, and in comes Yesifu with his best game in a KU uniform probably. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely one of those things. If it wasn't McCormick's best game as a KU player, it was definitely by far the best game this season. Um, for yeah. him. And I mean, it was that moment of like, this was the kind of breakout game that he had last year that got him going. And all of a sudden he goes on a tear in big 12 play. So the real question is, was this the moment where he finally turns it on and we're ready to go for the rest of the year here with, with Dave McCormick, or, you know, was this kind of like what we saw against Oklahoma state where he turned it on for the second half and it's like, okay, 
Hopefully he can keep it going, but he drops back down. There's a, still a lot of questions to answer with this team. To your point, though, they did this without Remy Martin. You know, they actually played a whole bunch of people, and I'm not counting, you know, the the Christian and Michael Jankovic uh, one minute each that was in the garbage time at the very end. Bobby Pettiford, you know, again, he came on at the end, but he played for a minute or two and had some issues. KJ Adams put in some good minutes here. He only had six minutes on the game, but, you know, he made one free throw. He had some... He, he had a, a, a nice assist there, um, you know, earlier in, in terms of what he did. Like, he put in some good minutes, but it was obvious this was a David McCormick game. Mitch Lightfoot only got nine minutes because McCormick was just on it all game long, which was absolutely fantastic to see. Jalen Wilson, this was his breakout game. This is, I would say that this was his best game in a, in a KU uniform because he was electric all over the place. Seven of seven from two, three of six from three. You know, he had eight rebounds total, five assists, just one turnover. Had a couple steals as well. Like, he was all over the place doing a bunch, really kind of jumping into the role that they need from him. If this team is going to be successful, is going to have the kind of offense that they need night in and night out, you need at least two of the three of Abaji, Brown, and Wilson all on in a particular game, along with someone down low, whether it's McCormick having a great game or Lightfoot. We got that in this game. Wilson was absolutely on fire. And while Abaji started a little bit slow, he really rounded out his game and came on in the second half for sure. Brown wasn't there offensively, but he was absolutely there defensively, which is what this team really needs is that if Brown's going to be out there, he either needs to be scoring a bunch and he can take a little bit of a step back on that defense, or he needs to be locking someone down defensively, which he did that. And it was absolutely great. So I am, I am definitely ecstatic with the way that the second half went. You would have liked them to be able to do it in the first half as well, but I, I still think that this team is struggling to figure out how they want to play without Remy Martin, what they can do. And it took them through that first half, figuring out how to play with Yesufu, uh, sorry, and, and Dewan Harris, like kind of rotating those guys to do what they needed to do without Remy Martin. I have no idea when Martin's going to be back. It was great to hear kind of all the rumors about maybe there being some tension, you know, in the in the in the program between Remy Martin and some of the coaches. Yes, those rumors came out. They got quashed pretty quickly, I think. And, you know, it's unfortunately, it's kind of one of those things that just happens when there's rumors flying around and you kind of want to hear what's going on. We, we can talk about that separately if you want, but I think the most important thing is that it appears that Remy Martin is going to be back at some point this season. Not really sure when it's going to be. I hope they really wait until that knee is healed completely to bring him back. But yeah, um, yep. yeah, I mean, this was, this was a fantastic game. This is exactly what you were expecting to see from this team at some point. It's just a matter of of how quickly they can put it together, how consistently they can put it together. And I think that's really the best part about this game. This is the offense that we were expecting to see. Um, you talked about how difficult it was for them to be this good offensively the rest of the year. I think the main difference between last year and this year is this year, every single team in the Big 12 Conference has a fantastic defense. Like all of them, I think I think the lowest one is like 60 uh, in, in, in terms of Ken Palm numbers, which is really, really good. Like those are good defenses. Those are defenses that you would want to have really at any place. You know, that that is a defense that allows you to be uh, competing for a spot in the NCAA tournament. And so if, if that's what we're talking about, that every single team in the Big 12 has a NCAA tournament level defense. Um, no, I'm sorry. The very worst defense is, uh, is actually KU's at 33, according to Ken Palm, which is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous when you think about it. So we have 10 top 35 defenses in the Big 12. Yes, you're going to have a lot of nights where the offenses don't look that great. Kansas and Baylor had absolutely fantastic offenses coming into conference play, and Texas has a decent one at 29. Um, but you have to remember that moving forward, Kansas and Baylor are still going to have 
great offensive numbers because those are adjusted for the level of the, of the defense they're playing against. And these defenses are absolutely phenomenal. And isn't that what makes McCormick even more important is that then there can be some focus on him actually doing something offensively. And that opens up Abaji, Brown, Wilson, Coleman lands when he's in the game. And it makes KU a lot more dynamic. If, if McCormick is a black hole of offense, then those guys, you know, these defenses you're talking about can hone in on those guys a little bit more. But if McCormick is opening up that court a little bit more, somebody, Wilson, Brown, Abaji, I mean, those guys can make open shots from anywhere. So this team has a lot riding on whether McCormick is effective like he was. And he doesn't have to be a 19 and 15 guy, but a 14 and 8 guy, if you can do that, stay out of foul trouble, you know, not commit silly fouls, not get not get into Bill Self's doghouse, you know, boy, KU really has a high future. Uh, and this is all without Remy. This is all without Remy. I mean, right, exactly. If he comes back, you know, and I, I saw in, in some of the chats uh, on the site today that it, it's kind of a shame that, that Bobby Pettiford might not have been redshirted with, with the way that if, if Yesifu can do what he did, because he looks like he jumped over him in the pecking order. Now that's just a one-game sample size. But with Remy coming back and you have Dewan Harris and then you have somebody else, I mean, we, I, I doubt they're going to go four deep in that spot very often. Um, and then you've got guys like Jalen Coleman, Coleman Lance, who's, who comes out as a super specialist. And let's not forget, Wilson can bring the ball up the court. He's done that several times. Abaji's gotten a little bit better with his ball handling. Brown can do it too. So, I mean, this team's got a lot of upside. Um, and that, that, that second half where they, I mean, they just blew him away by 34. Just, boy, it just, you just crave more of it, don't you? You just want to see it every night. And I know that's like what you're saying with these great defenses. I mean, even the worst team in the league has, a better defense than most, you know, most teams around the country. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where we're probably going to get to the NCAA, the NCAA tournament and everyone is going to be looking at Kansas and Baylor and be like, how are these offenses ranked this high? Because they're going to have stinkers of performances just because of how great these defenses are that they're facing night in and night out. But the fact that they can have these kind of, you know, really explosive games against these fantastic defenses at times um, is really showing just how strong they are. And to your point, Remy Martin coming back is going to completely change the way that they can play. Um, yes, I do think that Bobby Pettiford, um, you know, is is kind of been jumped for now, but we also have to remember he's coming back from an injury and from COVID. Like, it's going right. to take him a, lot, take a little while to get in the swing of things. Everything that I've heard seems like they're higher on Pettiford long-term than they are on Yesifu. But, you know, you go into next year when you don't have a Remy Martin and you, you know, I, I think there's a very good chance you may not have Jalen Wilson because if he continues to play like this and really breaks out, he's going to shoot up draft boards pretty quickly as well. Like those guys are going to be super important. You want to make sure that they're happy and you want to make sure that they're going to be here. There's a lot of young guys that are starting to get you know, not, not insignificant minutes, not like giant number of minutes, but you know, it's important to see what KJ Adams and, you know, Clements can do like all of these guys are going to have a role on this team as role players, kind of in the same way that a guy like Cole Aldrich did, you know, on the on the 08 title team. Like you're going to get these guys that have very specific moments that are going to really attach, I think, the fan base to them and be, you know, get them super excited for what these guys can do in the next few years when it's going to be their team because they are going to be the guys that have been here, the guys that can really bring this this uh, team forward so you know you you look at next year there's a very good chance that we could have only one starting I'm sorry two two starting returners in Harrison Brown I don't see Brown as a guy that's going to jump to the league after this year unless he really steps it up offensively I think or I'm well 
overall throughout the course, the, the rest of the entire season. But a guy like Abaji is probably gone. Wilson's probably gone. McCormick is most likely gone. And then, of course, Lightfoot you know, and Jalen Coleman-Lands aren't going to be eligible to come back. So you're going to have five big contributors that likely aren't going to be here. So there's going to be a lot of minutes for people to step up, a lot of guys that can jump into brand new roles. And that's what they're auditioning for right now. But the fact that they were able to do that in a game like this and still win by 30 points, basically, um, you know, is absolutely fantastic. It's exactly what you want to see from these guys. And it has to have you excited for what's coming up in the rest of conference play if you're a Kansas fan. Right, and you know, getting back to KJ Adams, there hasn't been a single game where I haven't been excited to watch that guy play, to be honest. Like, he's one of those guys that pops in, brings immediate energy. He's a guy that you can tell just eats up the coaching, eats up the instruction, and goes out there and, and does what he's asked to do. Now, sometimes he's not capable, you know, when he's playing the five, perhaps against a bigger dude or something like this, like he did in that one start that he had that was basically a novelty start from, you know, minutes point of view when it was all said and done. But that guy... I'm I'm super pumped to see you know he gets two three five seven minutes and those are those are minutes where he's changed games this year you know by by playing those those minutes Zach Clements is the same way we haven't seen him for a few uh, weeks because of the injury haven't I don't think it's since that Texas Tech game maybe where they had him running in the back of that zone but he's another guy that's super versatile and every time he comes in I'm just kind of excited to see what this dude can do so. Yeah, that's that's another thing. I mean, going back to your original question, like way back at the beginning of this show, the versatility is just really something that that you have to really look out for if you're an opponent for uh, of KU coming up, you know, the rest of this conference season, obviously, and into the tournament, because anybody on any given night can be the man. We've seen Mitch be the man. We saw Yesifu come in and be very good last game. Jalen Coleman Lands had a twenty some odd point game where he was nailing everything from three. Then you got the starters. Harris won a game for him in the last seven seconds. Just about everybody. So this team has all the pieces. Um, and it looks like, you know, the Big 12, if you're looking at all these other results, this is how Kansas wins Big 12 titles, too, is teams that, you know, are, are your main competitor lose games they're not supposed to lose. And, you know, we saw Texas Tech, um, was it to K-State, I believe? Right, right. I mean, this and, is the year and where... And Baylor, I mean, these are games that they don't, they're not, they shouldn't lose, probably. And KU, over the course of the year, I think last year, uh, over years, um, but last year being an exception, um, they don't lose those kind of games. So, um, you know, winning at Iowa, winning Iowa State at home, even though it was by one, and it was one of the worst performances you'll see KU play in Allen Fieldhouse, it's, it's still a W, and it still matters. So, I, I'm, I'm really... Who knows who's going to shine on a given day? You want Wilson, Abaji Brown, and McCormick to be the main guy shining with me when he comes back. But, boy, there's just so many guys that can step up and give you 10 points or get you quality minutes or get you a bunch of important rebounds or, or fill some time when you're trying to run a zone against somebody when you can't figure things out. So I, I, I still think the ceiling is very, very high for this team. Yeah, it's it's one of those things this year more than any other year like we always say, you know, it's about winning on the road is what wins you championships and you just have to win at home because most teams in the conference will win at home. Um, you know, that's how Kansas won is by getting road wins where it's difficult for everybody else to get those road wins. And that's why I think it's so massive that Baylor lost those two games to Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, both at home, because most right. of the teams here in the conference are going to be absolutely phenomenal at home. We saw it from K-State. And I do think that K-State over Texas Tech was one of those perfect type of matchup things because guess what Texas Tech likes to muddy the game up and you know they don't really have a star guy that you can go at that that you can expect to 
to do a whole bunch of stuff. That's what Kansas State does, too. They don't have a star guy that you can go to and expect to be the guy to lead them to a victory. They like to muddy things up, make it hard for everybody to get shots off. And so it was a perfect example of a Kansas State team that was due for a, a win against a Texas Tech team that doesn't have the normal type of advantage because they play a similar style to what Kansas State does. And so it's definitely – Can add this to it. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say, too, um, you're absolutely 100% on on all those. I mean, that's exactly it. But I always take this into consideration. I try to convince my non-Kansas friends about this, too. When KU goes on the road, it's everybody's Super Bowl, man. Oh, yeah, like, for sure. It, it, it's the biggest game of the year. It's the only sellout in a lot of these places. And that is a tough environment. And, you know, winning, like you said, winning conference games on the road is hard. Winning conference games in the biggest game of the year in that particular college town is even more hard, more difficult, and Kansas keeps doing it. Yeah, and so, I mean, I, I think this is the year where, you know, there's not going to be, I think, nearly as many away victories as you would typically see, especially for a Kansas team. But, like, winning on the road is going to be at even higher premium. I would not be shocked to see if the winner of this conference has five losses. Like, that's how tough this conference is going to be. Kansas is not going to win everything out, you know, else going the rest of the way. I expect them to split with right. Baylor. I, know, I think they're probably going to lose to Iowa State unless, you know, unless Iowa State's offense completely falls off a cliff, which it's already pretty bad, so it, it can't probably get that much worse. So, you know, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, Kansas is not going to be infallible the rest of the way. They're going to have a whole lot of, you know, challenges, but getting this early lead of a one game lead, you know, on everybody except for TCU and in the loss column is huge for them. They have a lot of difficult games coming up, but it is one of those things now where I think that they are set up for a good run. You know, they, they at least aren't fighting from behind in a, in a game that you thought maybe that they should have won playing against Texas Tech. Um, you know, there's going to be other teams I think they're going to do to them what Texas Tech did, especially when they're on the road. But we've now seen them be able to overcome that type of game in this one at home against West Virginia. So so looking ahead, you know, we have playing against Oklahoma on the road coming up tonight. Uh, and then on Saturday, they travel to Kansas State, to Manhattan to play them. Um, what are you looking for in these next two games specifically from, well, I mean, what, whether it's from a specific player or just looking from what the team is going to do moving forward from here? Well, if you're looking at those two, uh, you know, let's get those two road wins first off. And, you know, it's never easy to go to either one of those places if you're Kansas. They've already got the road win at Okie State. Let's, let's sweep the state of Oklahoma on the road first off and, and foremost. Um, for me, it's Wilson. I, I want to see more out of Wilson. He was so timid and his three his three point shooting was it was something like nine percent for a large portion of the season because yeah, he was, was just clanking it left and right. So that's my thing. I, I want to see more consistency out of him. If he can he doesn't have to explode for twenty three points. He doesn't have to make six of eight from three or whatever it was. He he has to go ahead and knock out fifteen points, play that solid defense that we know he can because he's a matchup problem for some teams. And, you know, if he can, if he can have a double double in both of these next two away games for, for Kansas, I, I think that's, that's a really positive sign. Um, winning without your point guard is obviously something that's going to be, um, maybe a trend we're going to have to kind of continue on here. But, um, that's another thing. Solid play from Harris. If Pettiford comes in, he can't be a turnover machine like he was when he came in for the few minutes uh, before he got yanked in the last contest. And uh, Yesifu, I thought, was pretty slick with the ball. Didn't uh, didn't score any, but created 
so that kind of depth is going to be important when you're going on the road, maybe not getting all the whistles. We've seen Harrison in a little bit of foul trouble before. Um, and how does he react there? So those kind of things are what I think are important. Plus, obviously, we got to keep Big Dave in the game. And like you said earlier, um, Big Dave had the opportunity last year, had a breakout performance about this time a year ago, and then powered it to a, a good solid 15 straight good games, right? That's what we need from Dave starting um, on Saturday and going through tonight's game and going through the weekend and going through the rest of the season, to be frank. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely one of those things. You, you talk about Wilson. He raised his three-point shooting this season by over five points, <laughs> by five percentage points, just by going three or six. Like, that's how bad his three-point <laughs> shooting was. Um, yeah, it was bad. I think at one point it was at like 8%, which is absolutely ridiculous when when you look at right. that. He's a much better shooter than that. Um, he's he's sitting at 21.6% now. I expect that to get even better as the year goes along. But you're right. He's got to continue to build off of this. Um, and, and, you know, as difficult as it's going to be to win on the road, these are two games where you really should win on the road, especially when you look statistically, you know, at the profiles that these teams have, um, they don't, there isn't one thing that they do that they can really take advantage of Kansas. Like there's not a team like, you know, um, like say a, a Texas tech where they're so good at turning you over that Kansas just couldn't handle it. Cause it wasn't a strong spot for the Jayhawks. There's nothing that these teams do that Kansas is weak at or for them to match up at. So it's definitely something where you would expect them to win these games. And if they don't win these games, um, then there's going to be even, an even tighter big 12 race than I think most people are expecting. So um, either way, I think it's going to be entertaining unless you're, you know, a Jayhawk fan who lives and dies by, you know, whether Kansas blows out their opponents or not, if that's the way right. you are, then I'm sorry, it's going to be a rough season because I would not expect these types of blowouts in most games, especially when they're on the road. So, all right. Yeah, and you look at your – Yeah. No, I was just going to say, you look at your conference foes over this week too, and Baylor's playing at two away games, one at Oklahoma and, and right this week um, against West Virginia. And Texas Tech is also playing a difficult slate. So if KU can take care of business, they might even be able to open up a, a two-game lead perhaps. So I'm looking forward to it. A um, couple old Big A schools and let's go. Yeah, for sure. All right, Derek. Well, thanks for jumping on. Uh, where can people find your work online? Um, I'm doing most of my stuff with you guys uh, under the moniker of Dnol Five. I'm the guy that compares the players to like you know Starburst flavors and things exactly. like this. Exactly. That's, that's so. like the best way. To do it. <laughs> hey, today's yep. uh, the, the the one for this last game comparing everything to West was absolutely phenomenal. I actually just got done reading that before we jumped on. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And of course, you do our uniform reports and, and our reviews of the different uniforms. Kansas has some really yep. great ones coming out. I, I, I have to ask you, because I don't think I have, what did you think of the homecoming uniform for the football team this last season? I love those. I, I know that that's kind of a split, uh, probably 50-50 down the line. and Maybe they didn't like the light blue or something, but I absolutely love them. I had never seen the bow tie K before either, in that application at least, or I didn't even know about it maybe. You know, you might see it in passing. I thought they were great, man. I I, I really like them. Um, I'm I, I'm team blue, more blue, less red, all the time for me. Um, the red every once in a while for basketball, I, once. Okay, and I know Self isn't a big red fan either, so I appreciate that they throw it out one time. Um, for football, I cannot stand the the red from head to toe. I like the old Todd Reesing in the orange bowl, that red with the blue and the gray. But all blue all the time for me is what I would what I what I like, and I love those homecoming uniforms, man. 
Yeah, you know, that's definitely one of those things that could theoretically uh, spark a big debate. Not quite the level of dunk or no dunk, but uh, but yeah. no, <laughs> no I, I definitely agree. I, I am definitely much more of a blue as opposed to red. I do appreciate the red as well from time to time, but, um, you know, it's not... It's not a KU uniform if it's all red. It's got to have at least some of that blue in there. So, all right, Derek, thanks for joining me. We will, like I said, we have Jill Dorsey Hall coming on right after the break to talk about KU women's basketball and volleyball. And then after that, we also have Christine Butterfield of Midwest Madness coming on to talk about, to, to preview this Oklahoma game. But I do need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk podcast. Hey there, 1012 Network listeners. This is Dustin from the Scott and Holman podcast, the original Houston Cougar athletics podcast, and the latest member of the 1012 Network. Uh, my co-host, Sam, do you want to tell the fine folks what the Scott and Holman podcast is all about? I sure do. We come on here at least once a week, and we talk all things going on in the world of Houston Cougar sports. Plus, we usually find time for some of what's going on in our future conference, our current conference, and really the college sports world at large. We're not just a football, men's basketball podcast. We really pride ourselves here on the fact that every single team that wears the Scarlet and Albino in Houston and their jerseys gets time on our show. Plus, from time to time, we bring on some guests ranging from opposing team experts to even former Olympic great Carl Lewis. So be sure to search the Scott and Holman podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, we spell podcast P-A-W-D cast because we are oh so funny like that. Here at the Rock Chalk Podcast, we are happy to be sponsored by Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel, you know them as the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel company anywhere. They have t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, more than a 100 different schools available with fantastic vintage logos, and they keep adding new ones all the time. They're getting ready to start Big New Saturday Season 3, which is going to be focused on college basketball schools. That means you know Cincinnati is, is the first one that's up this weekend. They're going to be adding a whole bunch more. I don't know the entire lineup. I can just tell you that... If it's basketball-centric, there's going to be some fantastic logos that you're going to want to actually go ahead and take a look at and add to your collection. If you already are getting home field apparel, you know exactly what I'm talking about, how comfortable these things are. Everybody in your family is going to want to be stealing yours. You better make sure you get enough. Um, if you don't have it yet, definitely take advantage of this opportunity to go out and get yourself some of the most comfortable college sports apparel anywhere if you use promo code chalk 12 over at homefieldapparel.com right now you can get 15 percent off your entire first order and all orders over 100 dollars get free shipping i guarantee if you head on over there take a look around you are going to find five six seven or more things that you want to add to your collection just the absolute greatest thing i have seven shirts myself my wife has three um we wear them all the time it's almost impossible to find not find us in one of them at least four or five times a week so Head on over to homefieldapparel.com, promo code CHALK12 gets you 15% off your entire first order, and all orders over $100 get free shipping. And I'm joined now by a friend of the podcast. It's been quite a while since she's been on, but uh, glad to have her back so we can you know, talk women's basketball, and of course we'll be paying attention to things like softball and volleyball coming up here as well. But Jill Dorsey-Hall, former KU volleyball player uh, who does a lot of kind of on-air uh, play-by-play for uh, the Big 12 Network. How are you doing today, Jill? I'm great. I'm I'm really well. It was an exciting game yesterday. So coming on the heels of, of that women's game, it was exhausting, but it was uh, exciting for sure. Too bad they couldn't pull it off. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely one of those things where, uh, you know, I mean, that, that really is the big story, that, that this Kansas team has been playing a lot better, I think, than, than – a lot of people expected, yes, we were all hopeful, but, uh, you know, given the way that the last few years have gone and just how strong this Big 12 conference is, there was always kind of a worry that it wasn't going to come together the way that it actually has. And, 
It's been a phenomenal year for them. They upset Texas on the road down in Austin uh, on Wednesday of this last week. And then, like you were saying, on Sunday, they had an opportunity to beat Baylor. We're up by three with you know two free throws coming with like 25 seconds left. And unfortunately, we're not able to finish it off. But um, watching this team and kind of watching the way that they've developed, what's the one thing that jumps out to you about the way that they've been able to do this this year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they've been kind of growing towards this. And when Coach Brandon Shatter came in, there's a lot of things you got to change when you have a new a new coach and coaching staff. You know, he's trying to instill his way of playing and his tough and together. It's kind of the mantra they live by. And so some of it is how do they get together as, as, a, as a huddle and how do they come together in that team chemistry. Certainly you have to build that with players. And the, the guard play the last couple of years has been very strong with the likes of Holly Kurt-Geter, now as a junior, Zakiya Franklin. I mean, those are starting to be his guards, Anaya Thomas as, as well. Really skilled guards, very athletic. They like to run. But when they, they did well in the non-conference, but then when the Big 12 conference started, it was a, uh-oh, what now? Because the Big 12 is a, real, it's a powerhouse. I mean, it is one of the premier women's basketball conferences in the country, similar to men's, and always do very well. And But the bigs is where they ran into some issues. They didn't have a lot of depth. Last year, they were just limited. So they got into foul trouble. It was like, okay, where do we go to now? And so now they have depth. They brought in some international players with size. They have Iwana Hakuanti, who is a, is a four, but last year had to play a five. Katrine Jessen as well, who plays very well. And the junior college transfer, Tiana Jackson, 6'6". Six, six. We never really had a player like her in the last couple of years. And she's a presence. I mean, she's a shot blocker. And so the depth, certainly at the interior, has been huge. It has been critical for the success. And now we can compete at that level in the Big 12. And any game really is up in the air. I mean, Iowa State perhaps has separated themselves a little bit. But Kansas went on the road, beat a ranked opponent in Texas. Had, ever, had done everything against Baylor, who's been a perennial power over the last couple decades in the Big 12, had them on their heels up by four with 25 seconds left, unfortunately, just couldn't pull it, you know, pull through to get the W. But they're in every game, and I really do feel like they can compete with every team in the Big 12 now with that interior size. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's what's really different this year, because in the past we've seen them play really well in the non-conference, and then they get to Big 12 play, and with just how right. strong the conference is – they have problems getting to the point where they can actually stay competitive and, you know, get to the point where they can like have a good showing and make, and make their way to the, to the NCAA tournament this year. You're right. That the inside is what the biggest difference is for me. That, that, that what I've seen, they're not getting pushed around inside like they normally have in years mm-hmm. past. Um, and, you know, I, I don't remember exactly where I had heard this from, but I, I believe it was at big 12 media days where, Coach Brandon Schneider was talking about how last year with COVID depletions and injuries and things like that, they had to play several players mm-hmm. out of position. And so it was hard for them right. to not only learn a new position, but then to compete in a conference like the Big 12. And, and you're seeing them being much more comfortable now playing the way that they need to. And, you know, Tiana Jackson, like you said, is making a huge difference for them, having somebody who is that strong inside, that you know, able to hold her own and really get to the basket when she needs to. That's been a huge difference mm-hmm. for this team. Um, you know, talking now about the way that this conference is set up, because, you know, this is not this is not your normal Big 12 conference. This isn't Baylor and then a whole bunch of other people in Texas, you know, kind of um, making an appearance here and there at the top of the conference anymore. This is a lot of different teams that, that seem to have an opportunity to be pushing towards the top of the conference. Um, what do you think is the biggest challenge for a team like Kansas as they're trying to remain competitive in the Big 12 and get themselves set up for an NCAA tournament bid? 
Yeah, I mean, you just have to play every possession. I mean, it's something that Coach Brandon preaches is that you can't have missed possessions. And in long con, you can get away from it with athleticism, with the size, right, and, and getting used to getting ready to play for Big 12. But you cannot take a possession off, you know, here or there because at any given night, any team can win. I, I know definitely you're seeing that on the men's side and certainly on the women's side. Iowa State and the likes of OU, they are so electric offensively that you go empty a few possessions and you just can't hold pace. And so if you have a stretch of three, four minutes without, you know, hitting a field goal, you're in big trouble. You'll be down. And they saw that against Baylor. They were up by eight. And then in a matter of a few minutes, then they were found themselves down by eight, you know. And so it's just there's such great athletes, such great shooters. And then the big, I mean, yesterday they had a face that ran and Alyssa Smith, she's the projected number one take in the WNBA draft. And so they've got to find a way for everybody to contribute. Holly Kurzgeter is definitely the sharpshooter to go to. So they have to have her to be on. I mean, with them, it's kind of as Holly goes, they go. But then they, she has to have support. Yesterday, they had three players that hit, you know, over that scored over 20 points. And so you're going to have to just have to have that production night in and night out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and you talked about, you know, Iowa State and then and then Oklahoma. Like, there are so many ranked teams here that are that, are that strong, and the, the schedule the rest of the way is littered with them. Coming up this week, a Kansas State, that, that team on Wednesday that was ranked prior to last weekend when they lost to Texas Tech. Um, mm-hmm. What are you looking at in this team, like the biggest challenge for the Jayhawks as they try to go into Manhattan and, and get a big win? Yeah, contain Aoka Lee, right? I mean, that's the issue with anybody facing Kansas State. They play a unique style. They have one of the best for you know, interior players in the, in the country. She leads the Big 12 in scoring. I think it's close to 24 points. I didn't see the updated stats after yesterday, but she's phenomenal, her ability to finish. And then they have some young guards. On They have a couple uh, twins from Kansas City and then another guard that's her point guard. She's from Missouri that plays for them. And so they're youthful. And they went on the road against Texas Tech, who's an improved team as well. And they lost, but they went 0 for 12 over the last uh, period in the fourth quarter. And so they're able to contain Lee, but really it was their guard. So when they get it into Lee and they kick it back out, right, you've got to close out really intensely. And you're not really going to be able to contain Lee, but if you can shut down the guards and, and keep them contained, then you're going to maybe have some success against Kansas State. But as I say, it was a Sunflower Showdown, everything's out the window because it's just a little bit different when you play your in-state rival. It's extra gritty. I mean, they there's definitely some bragging rights on the line. Oh yeah, for sure. Rivalry games are, are always a little bit more heated. And this is one where it's, you know, nothing special that way. It's, it's just as heated in this rivalry on the, on the women's side, because I think that it's been a little bit more even uh, than, than some of the other rivalries, you know, in some of the, other exactly. but, but yeah, yep. so I mean, looking at this, you know, this also is a game potentially where the winner is setting themselves up to be able to enter into the AP poll next week. Um, obviously they would still have to win over the weekend, but you know, Kansas state's getting a lot of votes. Kansas is finally getting votes now in the AP top 25 after their upset of Texas, you know, and the very close loss to Baylor. So um, mm-hmm. theoretically you win this game, you set yourself up with a strong showing against Texas tech to get into the rankings before next week's big matchup at Iowa state, um, which, which is going to be an interesting one as well. You know, it, it looks like they are, they're getting into the, quote unquote easier part of the schedule after this next week, which there really isn't an easy part in the Big Twelve, but they end the season with five games against, you know, Iowa State, then Baylor, then Texas, then TCU, and then Oklahoma. So four ranked teams there um with the final stretch. 
how how likely do you think it is that we get to the end of the season and we're talking about Kansas being in the mix for you know a top four spot in the in the conference? Well, what I saw yesterday and then even last weekend, they held pace with Oklahoma all but the, you know, halfway through the fourth quarter. And then, I mean, they had a really great first quarter. So I think it's very likely if they're playing at the level, part of it is believing, right, and showing up. And they've got good team chemistry. So, you know, a couple of years ago, you're kind of like, is everybody bought in? And, and I do really believe this year everyone's bought in. They've, they really like each other. And that's a big part of it. And then they have the depth. And so, you know, last year with the, with the COVID and just not the complete depth and the experience, I mean, Katrine Justin has improved a lot. And she's one of the interior players that they have. And then with Jackson arriving on the scene, if somebody gets in foul trouble, you, you, you know, Brandon Schneider can look to his bench and say, okay, I have someone else to check in. Last year, he's just like, well, I, you know, right. and then you had to play Chandler Prater. Yeah, then you had to play Chandler Prater out of position. I mean, she's, she's from – you know, North Kansas City, extremely athletic and just a tough player. And in the Big 12, if you want to, you know, to win night in and night out, you've got to have the Chandler Praters doing that, you know, kind of the gritty work that that you need, you know, to win. I mean, it's it's a closeout, it's a box out, it's going for the loose ball. So they have that. And Nia Thomas also provides that. So I was really, you know, excited about the performance yesterday. I mean, it was definitely a heartbreaker, no doubt. You know, you almost beat a team like Baylor on your home floor. The crowd was the crowd was electric, but they're starting to take, you know, definitely notice. Coaches that I talked to in the Big 12, they've all said you can't really find a weak spot this year. Well, in years past, it was okay. Let's just intact their interior. They don't have a lot of depth, and now it's what do you what what to do now? So they're playing good team defense. They just got to get enough players to contribute offensively. And I think they can, you know, definitely get some more wins in the Big 12 and make it make a run in the postseason. If, you know, definitely trying to make it to the NCAA tournament, but if not, you know, the WNIT. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it, it, it is one of those things, Big 12 media days, you know, there, there was a lot of talk about how, and, and it was weird because, you almost weren't sure if the coaches were saying it because it's the coach speak, what you say at conference media day, or they actually <laughs> believed it, but talking about how there really is no weak team in the conference. There is no, you know, easy win um, at all. Like I, I think most people in attendance, myself included were like, yeah, I mean, that sounds a lot like coach speak. We have to see it from some of these teams before we actually will believe it. But mm-hmm. the entire conference has really held up really well this year so far. Um, you know, even teams that looked like they were going to be that, that bottom of the conference in West Virginia and Texas Tech have gotten feisty and jumped up and beat some people that, that you were a little bit surprised by. So I am definitely, um, you know, very intrigued by the way that this conference race is going to shape up. And I'm looking forward to, you know, some very exciting basketball for the rest of the year to go along with the super exciting basketball that we always see on the men's side. So, um, all right, uh, Jill, any other any other thoughts about this team? Any particular player that you think is going to, jump out here that, 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 that people should know about? I think Holly Kersgater is, is something special. I, I think there were some rumblings of, you know, would she transfer, you know, out perhaps as, as you know, the transfer world has just gone crazy. It, it really has. And, and yeah, she, sure. she said, no, I'm here. I'm, I've, I'm going to, I'm a Jayhawk. I'm going to stay here. So I think fans would definitely know that and support Holly Kersgater. She's from the state of Oklahoma, but she loves being a Jayhawk. She, she wants to be here. She's putting in the work. She's their best player. She is a, a, an absolute incredible shooter, and she really carried the team yesterday. She's carried them. She does every skill extremely well. So she's a little bit more soft-spoken, perhaps, but 
she's definitely one that you can uh, – it really it's entertaining to watch her play because she can score at many different levels. And she's she's tough, and she loves being a Jayhawk. So there's something to be said for that. Zakai Franklin as well. She's an incredible ball handler. She's the point guard, and she's in that same class as Holly. So you got to give a you know tip of the cap to those two, and then Anaya Thomas as well. I mean, this the senior who's has been here. She's played significant minutes since she arrived on campus as a freshman. So the guard play certainly is really fun because they are up tempo team. And then you know Jackson. I, I don't even know if she knows how good she is yet. And she is is actually second on the team in steals, if you could believe that, at 6'6", six, six, right? Wow. She likes to jump the passing lane. So it's really fun to watch her. And even just this year and then certainly next year and how good she can be in the interior at 6'6", six, six with just how, how athletic she is. Yeah, that is that is kind of crazy. So, all right, well, thank you for, for helping out with all that. I do, before we let you go, uh, do have to ask about KU Volleyball. Obviously, we didn't get a chance to talk to you during the season, but they go on a, an amazing run uh, to to end Big 12 play, to get into the tournament, and then have two huge upsets to make it to the Sweet 16. Um, yes, the roster has changed a little bit with some with some transfers out. Caroline Crawford decided to to transfer back up into the Big Ten uh, you know territory up there. But but what are you looking for from this KU women's volleyball team, and what should KU fans be most excited about going into next year? how young they are and, and how the, the run that they, they went on. And they really, truly believe they continue to get better and better and better. I was on that call when they almost upset the number one team in the country, Texas. They were up two sets to none, couldn't pull that off, lost in five. But you knew they had it in them. And so it was really great to see them make that run. And they were extremely capable. I had covered Creighton early in the year against Nebraska. And when they got that, I, I kind of felt pretty good about it. You know, I, I do ton of respect for Creighton and everything. Kirsten Burns on Booth has done up there. But I thought that was a really good draw for them. You know, a lot of it in the tournament, right, is matchups. And I knew they could, they could hang. And I was a little scared about Oregon, but they put it together. I'm excited about Cameron Turner. The freshman, actually, from Topeka Seaman, she's extremely athletic, missed by a lot of coaches. They didn't recruit her coming out. I think we were only D1 offer, but she's so athletic, and she came into the starting role. They ran a 6-2 for a while, then decided to go to a 5-1, and she just really got to shine with her athleticism. And BN, she's spectacular. I mean, grew up you know, wanting to be a Jayhawk. I covered her since she was a freshman in high school at St. Thomas Aquinas. And uh, she's, she's sensational. It was recruited to be a libero, kept growing, now a phenomenal six-rotation player, and, you know, and, uh, and she's, she's outstanding. So uh, two of their best players are, are pretty young, and so that's always good to see. They actually just signed a transfer from Florida, a grad transfer as a middle, and she's – I think she's 6'6", so they've gotten in a good, a good grad transfer that I'm excited about. And then I think Rachel Langs or other middle is going to come back for that extra year. The big question for them is who's going to be that other outside hitter for them. So that'll be something I'll keep an eye on. And I think they have some good, uh, good new signees coming in, new freshmen as well. So I'm really excited. I hope Coach B continues to stick around. I always worry about him retiring maybe or getting maybe a little bit closer to that. But I think he might want to see this this freshman class all the way through, especially as Deanne, because she's a special player. I was to say, we know it's going to happen. He's going to retire at some point. And when he does, you know, just thinking about what he has done for the Kansas program will be absolutely phenomenal. So, all right, Jill, thank you so much for joining me. We will definitely have to have you back on for softball if, if you're doing those calls and probably later for the year for more women's basketball coverage. But uh, where can those that want to find your work find you? 
Yeah, Jill Dorothy Hall on Twitter and uh, Instagram. I probably need to open that up. I have had people say that to me before, but just tune in. You know, if you're a fan of, if you're a Jayhawk, tune in, watch, support the Olympic athletes and also the the women's basketball team. I think you'll be really pleasantly surprised. Yeah, for sure. And and of course, with the Olympics coming up, the the Winter Olympics is the perfect time to make sure that we're branching out into all those other sports. We'll continue to do that. But Jill, thanks again for joining me. Um, we will be talking doing a preview of the Oklahoma Kansas game that is coming up uh, to actually later today from when you're hearing this episode. So, uh, but I need, I need to throw it to a quick break first. We will be right back on the rock chalk podcast. Welcome one. Welcome all. And yes, I want you to be listening to the tortillas and takes podcast presented by 1012 network. If you are a fan that is of a team that has 12 wins, going to the national championships every year. They just love to talk about all the success that your program has had. Well, then you're probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you are a fan that just likes to really be in it every week and, and really have a real good shot at winning it, you're also probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you have really high highs and really low lows and really drink quite a bit, you might be a Texas Tech fan. So come along and party with us here at Tortillas and Takes. We're going to sit back, crack open a cold one, eat some tortillas, and as always, we're going to stay wrecked, people. And we're back. I am joined now by Christine Butterfield. Uh, she she does the Midwest Madness podcast here on the 1012 Network and is definitely in on everything Oklahoma Sooner. So uh, I brought her on to kind of help out to figure out what's going on with this Oklahoma team because like the Big 12, like we've seen from every team in the Big 12, all these teams are good. All these teams can jump up and bite you any particular day. So it's important to know what is going on with each of these teams. Christine, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Appreciate you having me on. Appreciate uh, talking some Oklahoma basketball. Not the best game against TCU. I don't know if you saw. I I sure did. I watched that one. Yeah, I watched that (laughs) one start to finish. So. Uh, uh, start to finish, same, and I was not really enjoying myself. Yeah, let's let's be honest. Like Big Twelve basketball, if you're looking for good basketball, it is hard to find. I have yet to watch a single game in the entire Big Twelve slate so far that has just been, oh my gosh, this is like the most boring thing, huge blowout. Like I don't yeah. want to watch this. Yeah. I, I can understand non KU fans maybe thinking about that about the you know second half of the KU West Virginia game from Saturday um, because it got kind of out of hand at that point. But for the most part, these have been super competitive games. Okay. Stop! Like, if you're Kansas fans and you didn't enjoy that, stop being spoiled. Oh no 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 no! no. I'm saying non. I'm saying non Kansas fans. I I don't blame them if they got a little bored with that one in the second half because. No no no! You're right. Yeah. Once it gets to the point, yeah. Judge any Kansas fan that did not enjoy that because that was top notch basketball. Oh no! I thoroughly enjoyed that, and and actually, as we talked about in the first segment, like. That is really what you need to see if you're a Kansas fan, Get seeing that offense getting going, people finally playing the way that they're supposed to. So, um, <laughs> yeah, well, yes. I mean, we, we actually said that out loud, so it's, it's absolutely fine. Okay, great. Um, great. Yes. But no, uh, so, so th- this Oklahoma team, though, you know, mm-hmm. obviously the story of the offseason uh, and one of the big stories in the offseason because Porter Mosier came over, um, you know, as a brand new coach here at Oklahoma after uh, Lon Kruger retired. And you know, you've got the the Groves brothers that came over as transfers. There's been a lot of changes on this Oklahoma roster. Um, obviously, I think most people are aware of the Groves brothers because of the NCAA tournament last year before they came over. But who else on this roster do Kansas fans probably not know about that they need to know about? 
A couple players would be Jordan Goldwire. He's one of their best offensive threats, I think. Uh, Last game, even though it was a terrible game against Texas Christian, he ended up shooting 6 of 10 from the floor, so he's very efficient usually. He picks his shots well. And uh, also... Uh, Emoja Gibson. He's also another player for Oklahoma that's pretty strong. It depends if he's having a good shooting night. Oklahoma tends to kind of go along with that momentum. If he's not, it kind of shows that they're not getting it done from a lot of areas of the floor. So if you have both Jordan Goldwire and Emoja Gibson playing really well, and also Tanner Groves getting it done inside, then they're going to be playing a pretty good game of basketball. If one of those two don't um, start kind of getting the momentum going for Oklahoma in terms of scoring, then that's when you're going to probably see Kansas start to get this thing going. Yeah, I mean, I am kind of curious because Oklahoma, you look at their offensive profile, like they're they're the 55th best offense according to Ken Palm. But that's being led by the fact that they are the second best two point shooting team in the nation. And, and I think, I, I have to think a lot of that has to do with, with Tanner Groves playing on the inside. But I am kind of curious, you know, given the fact that they don't really seem to have consistent three point threats, um, at least from what I can tell, like, what is it about the style of play? Is it really kind of playing through the inside first or is that kind of just the way that it's broken out based off of some other factors? So they don't necessarily play through Tanner Groves to get all of their shots and points in the paint, but they do move their offense very quickly and well enough that they always have a cutter going to the basket. So they'll always have someone finding that space once the defense has been moved and rotated out of position where they'll be able to find someone near the glass, whether that's Harkless, Groves, Jalen Hill sometimes will hang out down there or cut to the basket really quickly. So it won't necessarily always be Tanner Groves, but they always move their offense around so well that they can get an open cut to the basket, which is why they have so many um, two-point shots, and that's why they lead in efficiency there. That makes a lot of sense. That also kind of worries me as a Kansas fan because, you know, David (laughs) McCormick definitely seems to play his best defensively when he's got a guy that's posting up that he can, you know, challenge and and really can, you know, basically – when he's being challenged very well, he rises to the occasion. In ISO. Right. Yeah. Yes. In ISO, yeah. he defenses really well. Oh, yeah. If, if he has too much space and he has to keep track of who's cutting where, that's when you see him kind of get lost in that defense, at least from what I've noticed about Kansas. Well, and I, th- I think the other thing that kind of concerns me is the fact that Tanner Gross is a 38% three-point shooter, so it's not like he can't step out, which is going to bring McCormick out as well. Um, making it, a little, I think, a little bit harder. Kind of what you're talking about, which is what I was worried about. I was hoping that wasn't actually a case, and, and it sounds like it's worst-case scenario because, you know, opening up that space on the inside, McCormick has not or has shown a willingness to go out and defend on the perimeter if his guy is out there shooting, uh, which then can cause him to be a little late coming back and challenging shots on the inside. So I, I am definitely curious to see how Candace plays that defensively um, since that seems to be the main focus of what they try to do offensively. Uh, I, I am definitely worried about that. Looking at what they do elsewhere, though, because it looks like they they struggle, you know, with pretty much everything else on the inside offensively. Offensive rebounds, yeah. they're not great at it at all. Doesn't look like they get to the line very much. And it seems like they turn the ball over quite a bit as well, which is not probably something you want going up against a Kansas defense that's pretty good at turning opponents over and then going fast the other way off of that. So what what is going to be the approach, as, as far as you can tell, for Oklahoma to try to limit that being, you know, a big problem for them coming into this game. I I do think they are going to struggle against this Kansas defense, just seeing Kansas have the ability that they always have every single year being tough. And 
I, I have to credit Christian Brown for the last game. I mean, even though he didn't shoot well offensively, he was just such a force down there. So if he plays like that, I think that'll also be an issue. But as far as Oklahoma goes, I don't know if they'll be able to limit those turnovers, but what Oklahoma has done consistently in every single game I've seen them play, they will battle back somehow. And probably the hardest way possible, they will battle back to make sure they at least have a shot at winning. If Kansas gets to a point where they have a 10, 12 point lead, which is foreseeable, Oklahoma's really good at getting smart stops on defense and then getting to the rim on the offensive end. So they're not a very good team in transition. Um, they don't force a lot of turnovers. But they do make sure that their offense will have a pretty high efficiency when they get to the paint. So they're able to kind of chip away at these leads very slowly and in a way that doesn't seem kind of momentum shifting. So I think it catches a lot of teams by surprise until they look up at the scoreboard and they're like, oh, we're only up by four now. And then they kind of have to go and build that lead back up again. So that, I think, is the scenario that I see playing out with Oklahoma. Yeah, which is definitely something you have to be worried about if you're a Kansas fan because Kansas has shown – you know, a, a tendency to just be lulled to sleep at times, <laughs> especially yeah. offensively. Um, and so, yeah, I'm definitely curious to kind of see how this goes. Um, speaking defensively, because Oklahoma does have the 28th best defense, um, according to Ken Palm, uh, you know, and so like the only thing that they don't necessarily seem to do well on defensive end is blocking shots, which I mean, is they're not a tall team. Right. They're not athletic. And, um, And even Tanner Groves, we talked about what he looked like last time they played against Kansas. That, I think, was just one of the best nights I've ever seen him play. That's not nearly near a consistent level of play for him. But defensively speaking, he can be an issue for Oklahoma. He's not a big presence down low. He doesn't know how to kind of ISO work those situations like David McCormick does. So I expect David McCormick to probably handle him pretty fine down there. Maybe even Mitch Lightfoot could get a few shots up because he's not going to be blocking many shots. I don't foresee. And the rest of the players on this Oklahoma team are a lot smaller than that. And I think, oh, I think that Kansas will have the size advantage. So I don't see defensively a lot of shots being blocked, although they do move very quick on defense. They're able to stay in front of a lot of players on the perimeter. So that will probably play a factor. Yeah, I mean, looking at the rest of it, they're pretty good at not allowing offensive rebounds. I mean, you know, kind of middle of the pack in terms of the Big 12, most likely. But, um, I mean, just just looking generally, they are a solid all-around defense with the, you know, one exception of they don't really seem to block shots very well, which if that's the only thing you don't do well, that's actually pretty good for a defensive team. Um, You know, forcing bad shots a lot of times is just as good as blocking shots when they actually go up. So... Uh, I do. I am curious, though, just looking at matchups. Which which matchup has you the most concerned? You've already talked about David McCormick on on Tanner Groves, but you know Kansas's strength is definitely out on the perimeter. Um, is there a particular guy? Like I, I think it's pretty obvious to say like Ochai Abaji, You worry about him going off, but is is there someone else that really worries you about potentially going off against this Oklahoma team because of the way that they play? I mean, Remy Wilson just was doing everything last game. I, I you mean, you mean Jalen, right? Right. Jalen Wilson. Okay. No, I, I just want to make sure. I was like, I was like, wait a minute. Oh Remy God. Martin, Jalen Wilson <laughs> mashup. I, I mean, that would be uh, insane. I mean, that would be great. I mean, Remy Martin, Parton, I think might be back. I heard that he had a good practice today. Uh, yeah. The issue with Remy is that he's got a bone bruise on his knee, which is, I mean, yeah. I've had one of those before. 
And unfortunately, those things like to flare up at times. Um, so they're so awkward. Yeah, it's it's hard, and and on the knee is especially hard because you use it all the time. It's not like it's one where you know as long as you don't get smacked up. Like if if you have a bone bruise on your shin or something, as long as someone doesn't hit you in the shin, you're usually pretty good. But yeah. on your knee, you're using it all the time. It's moving, it's flexing, it's doing all this stuff all the time. I completely understand. And yes, there was definitely some some worrisome comments about maybe some issues going on behind the scene. You know, there's definitely enough kind of worrisome about is Remy going to be available? Um, we've actually said here on the podcast and, and I wholeheartedly still agree with this. I would much rather Remy Martin gets held out for a long period of time and Kansas takes a few losses that they maybe necessarily shouldn't with him. Um, but then he's fully healthy and ready to go for the tournament where you can potentially make a deep run, then worry about nursing him along throughout the rest of the season. And then he has a bad game in the tournament because he's still dealing with a knee issue that you could have rested him and gotten him ready to go. I'm not certain that Remy's going to be available for this game. And, and honestly, I would not be surprised if they decided to sit him down until after the Kansas state game. Um, but to your point about Jalen Wilson, like that was a coming out party for him. That is by far the best game that he's had all year long. Probably you could even say it's probably his best career game. The one that he had against I think Virginia. so. I mean, Jalen Wilson just looked so impressive because he was attacking the paint. He was making points off the, off the boards he was scoring well from the perimeter. He was three of six against West Virginia. So if he's able to have that kind of a game, I think he will be an issue. Although I talked about Christian Brown a second ago. He didn't shoot well against West Virginia, but I think that he is taller than his position against Oklahoma. So whoever's guarding him in Oklahoma will be shorter, I'm assuming. And I think that you're going to see Christian Brown be able to hit some key shots from behind the arc against Oklahoma. And then I also think defensively, he's going to be a bad matchup for whoever he's guarding because he'll just be taller, lengthier. And whoever he's going to be guarding up against, you're not going to see them have a uh, pretty successful shooting night. They'll probably have a lot of shots that are not within their usual slot selection that they'll just have to um, take because that's the only one they could get off at that point. So I think that would probably be the biggest concern for Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of those things where Brown has definitely had some issues recently, offensively, a little bit of inconsistencies, but you know, he is definitely one of those guys throughout his entire career that has played defense phenomenally. And that's the one thing that has not gone away. um, You know, in, in the entirety of the slump that he's been going through his last three games have not been great offensively, but he has definitely kept that defensive pressure up, which is going to help limit what Oklahoma can do. Um, eventually he's going to break out of it, whether he breaks out of his offensive slump now or it's, you know, a couple weeks down the line, the fact that he's still bringing that defense is going to give him plenty of opportunities to do it. It's just a matter of when he actually breaks out. So I, I, I agree with you. It's only a matter of time of when he actually offensively goes off on somebody. Um, but defensively, he's going to do quite a bit to help in this game. And so, I mean, it, it seems like you're kind of trending in the direction of being concerned about Oklahoma actually having a legitimate chance of winning this game. Um, like, I, I don't think anybody would be surprised if Oklahoma were to pull off the upset here, uh, especially given what we've seen from Kansas. But what is it going to take from this Oklahoma team to be able to actually get to the point where they can can pull off this upset, even though it is at home and the Big 12 has been super difficult at home for, for a lot of teams that, that, that have gone on the road. What does Oklahoma have to do? What's the one thing they absolutely cannot allow Kansas to do? I think, honestly, it comes down to limiting their shots from the perimeter because, like I said before, Oklahoma cannot go shot for shot when people start um, or when players start, you know, going hot from behind the arc. They can't match it on the other end, and that's how 
Kansas can really build a substantial lead is if they get hot from three and they just keep sinking them. So as long as Oklahoma really focuses on their uh, perimeter defense and forces Kansas players to go into the lane to shoot mid-range shots, I think that's what Oklahoma will be able to build a lead off of or at least stay in the game. Because if you're allowing Kansas to shoot, you know, like even like if they make five threes, that's 15 points. Oklahoma is not going to make a lot of threes. So you've got to make sure that you distance that out and really force them to go inside. And when you do force them to go inside, you can't allow your help defense to go into the lane as much as you want to and to try to block that shot. You want to keep them in a way that's still negating that passing lane because Kansas loves to, you know, obviously dunk down and then dish it back out and kick it out to the corner three. So you still have to take away that positioning. And if they're able to do that and they make sure they just do their due diligence, make their points to the paint, do the offense, run it the way that they have been. I think they can have it be a close game. And Oklahoma's coming off of two losses back-to-back. And after Kansas, they actually play Baylor. So they need to make sure they get one of these upsets. So I I've, I foresee yeah. Oklahoma coming into this game with a lot of energy because they know they need to get a win soon. Yeah, it's one of those things. This, this Big 12 is so tough. And, and we'll actually talk about that here in just a minute. But – you know, you you had to have hoped. Yes, it was hard to get a win either at Texas or at TCU, but you would have hoped that you got at least one of those. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I mean, looking at what's going on, they you know they are two and three in the conference. They've won both games at home and they've lost, you know, all three games on the road. So that's not that unexpected in the Big Twelve Conference. If you do that the entire year, you're still putting yourself in a really good spot to make the NCAA tournament with how strong the conference is. And I mean, yes. I think Oklahoma's probably one of two teams that has a bad, a quote unquote bad loss being, you know, a sub 100 Ken Palm loss. Um, but even that's not absolutely horrible that, that loss they had to Baylor, or I'm sorry, to, to Butler in overtime, um, you know, back on December 7th. Like this is one of those things like you look at, at Oklahoma's resume, they're actually set up really well. If they can get a few wins, especially if they win those big ones at home in conference, that they're going to go ahead and make a push for the, the NCAA tournament. I will say, you you do talk about how Oklahoma can't go shot for shot from three for with the Jayhawks, but, you know, being a Kansas fan, I am fully aware that this is going to be the game that Jacob Groves is going to go, like, seven of eight from the from the three-point line. <laughs> you know, the guy that normally does not shoot a whole bunch of threes is going to be super hot because it happens to Kansas all the time. Um, so I am, I am fully prepared for that, but I do agree with you that it's going to be difficult for them in general, to match up if Kansas is shooting well. So uh, while, while I definitely think it's going to be important to keep Kansas from getting easy drives to the to the basket, that's not really Kansas' game quite as much. I think it's going to be much more important for them to pace, play solid, you know, in-your-face defense out on the perimeter, not even necessarily worrying about... Like, I, I actually think in a lot of cases, if Kansas is going to get hot from three, then you're much better off trying to funnel them into the inside to have them may, have to make that pass to the inside to give a guy like Tanner Groves an opportunity to challenge David McCormick because McCormick has been very streaky back and forth all year long. Um, he'll have really, really good days like we saw against West Virginia and really bad days on, you know, on times where he really should be dominating. He should be taking advantage of his size inside and he just can't do it for whatever reason. So um, yes, if, if David McCormick has, has flipped that switch, then going inside is going to be just as deadly as them shooting outside. But I'm not convinced yet that McCormick has actually flipped that switch. So yeah, I'm not either. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what Oklahoma is able to do. Um, you know, this is, I think this is going to go a long way. I'm, I'm expecting another hard fought victory for the Jayhawks. If the Jayhawks win this one by more than eight or nine points, I'm going to be surprised um, just because of the way that the Big 12 has gone for this entire year and is looking to shape up. So I'm definitely going to be interested to see how this one shakes out. 
Um, yeah, but I, I do know you over on the Midwest Madness talks about all the Big 12 basketball. So I want to get your thoughts on the conference rates as a whole, because again, like this is, this is absolutely insane. Just how, how, how tight this, this, you know, conference is the fact that Oklahoma state got a huge upset victory over Baylor at Baylor oh down in Waco. Like, yeah, I mean that, that I think you could make an argument that, you know, combining Oklahoma state upsetting Baylor down in Waco and, and Kansas state upsetting Texas tech in Manhattan, the way mm-hmm. that they did that completely changed the entire outlook for the way that the conference is going because oh yeah, like you, you easily could have made the argument that, Hey, it looks like it's going to be, you know, Kansas, Texas Tech, Baylor, and then maybe like an Iowa State or someone, and it's going to be those four teams, and they're going to, you know, push themselves away from the rest of the conference. But when you have those kind of results, um, it's pretty easy, I think, to see the top of the conference keep getting pulled back throughout the rest of the year. It's it's insane. Like, I don't even know if I fully can mentally grasp how deep this conference is. Whenever you see, I mean, like, Kansas State has had a few close games, and I, I talked about this in the podcast today, um, but there are a few close games you wonder, is the, is the team that's ranked above them playing down to their level, or is Kansas State really just that aggressive and that competitive? And seeing them finally get that win and seeing them finally overtake a team like Texas Tech, I think proved that Kansas State is a strong team, proved that they can beat anyone in this conference, and um, TCU is also looking pretty strong as well. And you talk about Oklahoma State being able to knock off Baylor. And they were in the lead for the majority of that game. I watched it. Yeah. They were ahead by double digits for the entire first half for the majority of the second half. And Baylor only got within six points in the last six minutes of the game. That's how dominant Oklahoma State was the entire time. So, it just, I mean, honestly, like when you mentioned that, it's just upsetting to me that I think about how Oklahoma State's record won't play a part in the postseason game for them because I think they could be a fun tournament team. But oh yeah, for sure. Um, that wouldn't. That's not going to be an option, unfortunately. But it does get a lot of, I think, fans excited because any of these teams have a chance to make a tournament run at this point. When you look at the conference as a whole, I, I really need the um, the committee. And the NCAA to start ranking the Big 12 on a curve when it comes to seeding. Because if we're going straight off records, I can't. I can't. And I know, and I know around this time, you guys are gonna want to be listening to Midwest Madness for my rant whenever seeding comes out, because I, your girl's probably gonna go off. Because they deserve to be ranked on the curve. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. I, that's why I'm actually glad in the last few years they've started looking at advanced metrics to help with the seeding portion of it. Yes, it may not help the J or I'm sorry, the Big Twelve conference um, when they are looking at like which teams to allow in. You know, like honestly, if 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 Oklahoma State wasn't barred from the NCAA tournament because of the stupidity of the NCAA. Um, mm-hmm. I, I very well could make a legitimate case that nine of the Big 12 teams should make the tournament this year, especially if you're looking at it right now. Like, I, I could make an argument for every single team, including Kansas State, making a run throughout the rest of the season and getting themselves in solid position to not even be on the bubble, like when, when it comes to the Big 12. Just because of the way it is, like, you look, it's hard to find a bad loss from any of these teams in the Big 12, uh, with the exception of maybe... Oklahoma versus TCU. Yeah, but that like... Was a, that was a bad one. Well... <laughs> 
but that's not like you look at the ratings. Oklahoma losing to TCU is not a bad loss. Like you look at resume. Oh, I'm sorry, not a bad loss. I'm sorry. Right, right. This is a bad yes, they, they they probably should have won that game. Like you look what they did, especially when you hold like Mike Miles to only six points. Um, but it is definitely one of those things where you know, like that doesn't go down as a bad loss. That's not something that's going to hurt their resume unless you get enough of those losses piling up. So, I mean, yes, the team that goes, you know, six and or like six and 12 in the big 12 is not going to probably legitimately be talked about for the, for the NCAA tournament. Um, But honestly, looking at the way that this conference is, they probably should be like, that's how strong this conference is. That's how good most of the non-conference slates were for every single one of these teams in the big 12. And so, uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to kind of talk about that. Anybody who comes out of the big 12 is going to be super ready for the gauntlet. That is the NCAA tournament. Uh, so I am I am super excited for all of that. But, you know, real quick before you get out of here, because I know you like to talk women's basketball, too. Um, women's basketball is shaping up to be the exact same thing of, for the for the for the Big 12. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I, I can't believe how competitive both conferences look right now. Like we're used to the men having this kind of bulldog mentality. But now the women's side is matching that. And it's just such exciting games to watch and I know we've already joked enough about Oklahoma versus TCU but on the women's side Oklahoma women put up a hundred against TCU which yeah amazing just incredible so I mean these are exciting women's games and if you're missing them like y'all gotta y'all gotta go check them out because these women are are looking really good so far I mean you also talk about like Kansas women upsetting Texas down in in uh in in Austin yeah. almost beating Baylor at home like these have been for everybody. It's been absolutely crazy just thinking about how competitive this Big 12 women's conference is going to be as well. So I'm super excited to kind of see how that goes. Uh, we, we, I mean, we, we are going to be talking women's basketball here on the podcast a lot more than we usually do because it's definitely relevant for Kansas fans this year compared to the last few years. I'm happy to see them finally get off the schneid there and, and get Coach Schneider potentially an opportunity to really show what it is he was brought to do to help rebuild the program to where it needs to be. But, um, yeah, I feel like we're going to have a whole lot more basketball stuff to talk about. It's going to be super interesting. But, Christine, thank you so much for joining me uh, to, to kind of cover this game and, and talk about the conference as a whole. For, for those that want to catch your work online, where, where can they find you? They can find me at CB on Sports on Twitter. That's where I post all my stuff. If I doubt there's any Thunder fans up there, but if you're a Thunder fan, I cover them for um, SI Thunder. And that's in my description. And if you want to learn more about the Big 12 Conference, if you want to keep up with all the teams in general, just a really quick synopsis. I give those up almost every week. Uh, and that'll be Midwest Madness. And the podcast is available wherever you listen to that. We also have a Twitter. It's at MW underscore Madness Big 12. And if you didn't catch that, it's in my bio. So just it'll be in the show notes, too. Don't worry about it. So it's, okay. It's <laughs> yeah, okay. no, no. We love having you here on the network. You know, uh, it was one of those things that I, I know that when Philip and I were talking about it, we were just like, hey, we need a Big 12 basketball podcast. And you were the first person that came to mind for that. So we're, we're super happy to have you here on the network. Um, and you would be surprised. There's probably a lot more because the Oklahoma City Thunder are the closest NBA franchise to the Kansas City area. Um, you know, there's definitely a lot more people that I think follow the Thunder, or at least that's the team that they're somewhat root for, um, than, than would normally be the case for a city that doesn't have an NBA team. So, but yeah, uh, Christine, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, where it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. 
Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast. You can subscribe and get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments, I'd absolutely love that. But if for whatever reason you don't think you can do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better so that we can get that rating from you because we really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast.gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of that 1012 network that has a whole bunch of great shows that cover every team in the Big 12. Like I say on here all the time, if you want to know everything you can to be as ready as you can for what's going on here at Kansas, you need to know what's happening around the rest of the conference as well because it does affect the Jayhawks. So if you head over on Twitter at TEN12Network, uh, that will get you links to all the shows that we have. We have 10 podcasts right now. We're looking to add more for the rest of the teams that we don't have. I can guarantee you it's some of the best coverage covering the entire conference that you'll find out there. So uh, we are on the Anchor platform, so you can leave us a voicemail. Just go to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message, and I promise we'll get your voice on the show here. Uh, as well, uh, you know, make sure you go out and visit our great sponsor here on the podcast, Homefield Apparel. Uh, promo code CHALK12 gets you 15% off on your first order. But that's going to do it for us today. Thanks so much for joining me, and thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt, joined by my brother, Jeremy J.N. Fiend Phoenix. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, anyplace. Get at your boys. Sports Social Podcast Network.